following sermon was delivered at the 1030 worship service at the United Methodist Church of Kent. Please enjoy. Later on today, this afternoon and, and into the evening and then actually all day tomorrow as well, I'm going to be participating in meetings and conversations related to our conference's candidacy process for folks who are responding to God's call to step into ordained ministry in our United Methodist Church. It's a process that I've been blessed to be a part of for some years now, and, and each and every year that I am a part of it, I am amazed all over again by the grace of God, by the grace of God in, in calling folks into this particular form of ministry, this specific way, among many ways, of following Christ. With each and every candidate, whether or not they are ready to take the next formal step in that process, every time, every time, I have sensed clear evidence of God's calling in their life. Whether or not they are being called to ordained ministry within our United Methodist Church, clearly they are being called into ministry of some sort, which really is, whenever I pause to think of it, an extraordinary, extraordinary thing, an overwhelming gift, an enduring testament to God's grace and faithfulness in relationship with us, to witness year after year after year how God keeps calling folks, keeps equipping and, and sending folks into a variety of forms of ministry. Whatever else changes in the world, however much seems to change in our own United Methodist Church, God just keeps on working through folks to embody love in our communities and in our world. Now, far more regularly, of course, I am blessed to witness the very same truth in the life of our local congregation. Every time one of you shares with me some new idea that you've had, some, something that's been nudging at you, something that's been sort of whispering in your ear or, or pressing on your heart, some new way that you want to step out into ministry or, or help us in our life together to, to love our neighbors a little more, every time, every time I offer a prayer of gratitude, amazed and in awe again and again by God's insistence on remaining active and engaged in this world in our families, in our world, in our neighborhoods, in our, in our community, in our churches. God just keeps on loving through us. And that's true for every one of us. Created in God's image as we are, each and every one of us is called and equipped and sent by God. Every one of us in our context. And not just one time, one time in our lives, but but over and over again, at every age, at every stage of life and faith, for not only have we been called into ministry, but right now, this moment, we are being called, each of us, in a variety of ways. We are being called to be and to communicate God's love where we are, to move into new relationships, to transform our neighborhood a little more in the direction of God's dream. And yet, although it is absolutely certain that we are called, it's much less certain where that call will lead us. As I have been blessed to learn and, and relearn time and time again in my own life and, and through hearing the experiences of others, God's ongoing call in our lives is consistently, we might say, consistently unpredictable. Story after story in our scriptures point to this truth, that God moves, God calls, God nudges and pulls us in ways that are always surprising and creative and sometimes downright shocking. The story of Abraham and Sarah, for example, 
is a story chock full of surprises. In today's bit of it, after years of being unable to have a child of their own together, quite logically, reasonably, they have concluded that that future just isn't in the cards for them. That door has been closed, so better for them to choose a different door. The story of Hagar and Ishmael tells us the tragic consequences of the specific other door that they choose, but, but then in today's story, God moves. God acts. God calls again. And Abram, we are told, Abram, his name before God renames him, Abram falls on his face. Now I read that gesture both as a sign of his surprise, but also as a posture of his humility. And then he begins to ride the wave of all the impossibility that follows. God blesses Abram and Sarai in ways that they could never have predicted, not only with the blessing of children, with descendants of their own, but now with the blessing of a covenant too. By grace, entirely through God's own initiative, God solidifies this relationship with Abram and Sarai, and in the process, the two of them are transformed, and they're renamed to signify that transformation. They don't just receive something from God, they are changed by their relationship. The name Sarai means something like my lady or my princess, signifying or, or gesturing toward the matriarch of a family. The name Sarah expands that identity to mean something like lady or princess without any qualifier. It's a, a matriarch more than just for a single family line, but for a multitude, a, a community, a nation. Similarly, the name Abram means exalted ancestor, a pretty good name in itself, but, but Abraham means ancestor of a whole multitude. So neither of them stops being who they were, but, but who they were now is broadened, is, is expanded and transformed. Their new identities expand on their previous selves. Their wildest imagination for their life together was to have children of their own. Now God calls them out beyond their wildest imaginations. They won't just be parents. They'll be parents of multitudes. And indeed, to this day, they're the parents of three major religions. That, God calls us, is undeniable. How and where God calls us is unpredictable. What might it look for us to be open to that unpredictability, to be more open to God's surprises? What could happen if we were so open, so ready to be transformed? How would our lives, individually and communally, change if we lived every day with that openness, that readiness to, to meet God, to hear God's call, to follow wherever it leads in ways that are often unexpected and surprising? It's a vulnerable and humble way to live, certainly. A way of living that lets go of our assumptions and relinquishes our plans and releases our need for certainty and attempts to be in control. It's a way of being open, being open to our very identities, expanding in ways that only God can imagine. Responding to God's call or deciding to follow Jesus doesn't mean knowing where that will lead. It means instead choosing to be continually surprised by God's Holy Spirit that blows wherever it wishes. For God's power in our lives isn't like the power of a dictator, issuing clear orders that we then numbly obey. God's power in our lives is more like the wind 
or the sea, or like a good poem or a good piece of music, just like falling in love. We feel it. We step into its flow. And sometimes, if we'll surrender to it, it'll knock us right off our feet. In today's gospel, we hear Jesus tell us that we must say no to ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. We hear Jesus tell us that those who lose their lives because of him and because of the good news will, in fact, save them. Now, perhaps at least part of what all that means is, is giving up predictability, our need to control, so we can surrender to God's mystery instead. After all, Jesus' whole life represented mystery and paradox and unpredictability, the surprising ways that God works in the world, continually taking all of our assumptions and expectations and turning them on their heads. Today's scene in the gospel, for example, comes immediately after Peter identifies Jesus as the Christ or the Messiah. Now, Peter and the rest of them had very clear assumptions, very specific expectations about what the Christ or the Messiah would do. They expected God to send an anointed one, a Christ, a Messiah, to lead a violent revolution to defeat and expel the Roman regime, the military, and the economic power that had colonized their land. But no, Jesus says emphatically to Peter and to the others, and no, Jesus says to us still today, still in all the ways that we continue to cling to our weapons, to cling to our weaponized words, trying to use violence to protect our fragile egos. No, Jesus says that way is too small, too limited. Violence, weapons, weaponized words is the opposite of God's dream. So instead of violence, Jesus demonstrates God's salvation through vulnerability instead, through suffering and being in solidarity with those who suffer. Now that's a surprising, surprising recognition. Still today, so many of our heroic stories and and images and and movies, they center in violence, the liberating armies, right? The, The good guys with guns. And yet God saves us so differently, not by combating violence with violence, but by joining us in suffering instead. The savior of the world, the Messiah we choose to follow, chooses nonviolence to respond to violence, allowing himself to suffer. It's a shocking twist that God, the creator of the world, would suffer death. And yet in God's gracious unpredictability, that's what God does. Jesus expands our understanding of the divine to include the whole experience of our humanity. All of it, from birth to death, a testament to God's steadfast blessing. God loves us so much that God comes to us and God stays with us, inhabiting humanity all the way, all the way through the cross. Now, For Jesus' first listeners that day, they knew very well what it meant to take up your cross. That wasn't a general statement for them. It wasn't a cliche as it is for us today. To take up your cross meant something very specific, very horrible. They had seen it done lots of times. Folks who had resisted Rome's power forced to take up their crosses as the means for their public torture on the way to state execution. Now in Jesus, God surprises us by joining us specifically there in the horror that we cause to each other, in the ways that we torture and destroy. It's all so unpredictable, so paradoxical. 
that violence is defeated by nonviolence, that hate is defeated by empathy, that fear is defeated by love, that we gain by losing, that we live more fully by dying to self, that, that the first are last and the despised ones are exalted, that enemies are loved and those who cause harm aren't punished but forgiven. None of that, none of it makes sense. The gospel isn't logical. God's new world is surprising and unpredictable. And so sometimes, of course, like Peter, we will find it hard to accept this sort of God, this twisty and turny way of healing the world. In today's story, Peter scolds Jesus and begins to correct him, but Jesus corrects Peter right back, reminding him and all the disciples, including us today, that God's story is not ours to have or to predict or to control as we choose. Some of our assumptions some of our very dearly held expectations will need to be sacrificed, will need to be set aside, given up, so we can live Christ's fuller way. Deciding to follow Jesus or responding to God's call is not convenient, it's not easy, and it certainly isn't predictable. It doesn't unfold according to our plans. Really, it's much more like holding on for dear life as God's love just keeps leading us forward and outward. It's like doing the best that we can to keep up with the Holy Spirit who keeps on leading us in our lives and in community. And so now, during the season of Lent, year after year after year, we, we practice at that. We practice through those time-tested practices holding on for dear life, through self-examination and repentance and fasting, and self-denial, and prayer, and worship, and reading scripture. In these and in other ways, for 40 days every year, we practice. We practice adopting a posture of humility, both in God's presence and in the presence of each other. And through that humility, we stay open, vulnerable, willing to be transformed by God's unpredictable grace, willing to admit that we don't know everything, we don't know where it's all going to lead, and that's okay, because we're ready. We're ready to follow wherever Christ will lead. By God's grace, may it be so. Amen. Thank you for listening to this edition of the United Methodist Church of Kent Sermon Podcast. For more information about the church, visit www.kentmethodist.org.